0: Welcome, welcome everybody. Welcome to the Lance now Show. I'm sure you've been waiting all day with breathless anticipation about what we're going to talk about. I wonder if I should be wearing dark shirts like this. I seem to be lost in the set when I'm wearing dark shirts. Is that just me?
1: No, you stand I look, out. I look
0: like I'm like a blob in the background. All right, so listen. Uh, I'm listening to Charlie. I was with Charlie Kirk this weekend, you know, and I love Charlie. Yes, and I, I it, My words to the conference, because I was helping to, to host it, is that... We've got to stand behind this next generation of young men and women who are carrying the torch for the future. And uh, he sent me something today. And he said, I want to know what kind of articles are he's getting hit all the time by these, these, these articles. But this one doesn't mention him. It mentions us, meaning him, me, you, Carl and Mercedes,
1: anyone who is associated
0: (laughs) with uh, with with people like uh, like us. And the article in the New York Times is a hit piece. How American Evangelicalism became Mr. Rogers with a blowtorch. In his new book, The Kingdom, The Power, and the Glory, the journalist Tim Alberta suggests his face embrace of right-wing extremism uh, to critical scrutiny. And this this is gonna have to be dealt with. It's these weird, weak. Maybe not even evangelicals that think they're evangelicals, who attack any Christian who says, you know, America is perilously close to the edge of a cliff. We're on the wrong track, along with 75% of Americans. Unsustainable debt, an open border, hemorrhaging out from Ukraine fighting with Russia to the Middle East. Now, what are you guys smiling about over here? I'm, you
1: know, I'm nah. just laughing what at do you, what, the, the subject matter.
0: I'm dealing, I'm dealing with the world the way it is. And so Charlie sends me the article because I'm saying to him, what are we going to have to deal? We're going to have to actually... Donald Trump's whole thing with MAG is make America great again. I think I think part of us, part of the church has got to make the Christians Christian again. And that means Christian in clarity, Christian in courage. I listen to this young guy, Russell Johnson, who some of these youngsters of my staff introduced me to by way of TikTok and other Instagram Instagram videos. And uh, he said something, he's a young 37, 38 year old with a church in, two churches in Seattle, I think three campuses now, right in the middle of Antifa territory. Courageous, strong spirited young man. And he said, for those people that don't think Christians should be involved with the culture war understand the culture war is nothing more than the proxy war for spiritual warfare. If you're not involved with the culture war, you're not involved with spiritual warfare. Now, you don't have to be involved with every issue, but there ought to be something the devil's doing to take this generation over a cliff that that excites you to want to push back and rise up and deal with it. And uh, I'm sharing that now because I'm, we're going to have to cover that article in the New York Times. I read it today, and I and I had other things I had to do. And it's on my mind now as we're doing this podcast, because I get so upset. I've actually got folks that are, that are, let's say, relatives of mine who are um, concerned about uh, me because they listen to left-wing Rolling Stone articles. That's their world of information.
1: That also has a video clip of you saying the thing they were espousing.
0: Yeah, well, well. yeah, or, 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 a, or a video clip, which is one of 20 million downloads so that they'll find the something that they can catch you on, that they can nail you with, just like the Pharisees sat while Jesus was teaching to see if he would heal. There are some people that are in audience waiting for you to stumble hmm. so that they can exploit your stumble and embarrass you. Hmm. And I despise that too. Psalm 97 says, you who love the Lord hate evil. Well, aren't you aren't supposed to hate? You who love the Lord hate evil. He preserves the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous. So I'm I'm going to believe that this is going to be an interesting year. Now, here's the thing how, how to go to war and yet maintain the joy.
2: Hmm.
0: That's, that's where I'm at. I can't avoid this thing. I can't, I can't go where other Christians go, which is, well, I'm just not going to get involved. Yeah. Well, that's called apathy and escapism. I got to figure out how to get involved and maintain my equilibrium. Now, part of that is the strong sell difference. Did you notice how I segued into mm-hmm. my commercial break right here, people?
1: Soft anger to
0: a hard <laughs> cell. Soft anger to a hard cell. Listen, I'm serious about this. I was watching, speaking, of, Char- speaking of Charlie, I, I, I'm not, a, not I'm not in a Charlie state today, but he's on my mind. I was listening to him talk about this because this, this is somebody I know in the Dallas area that's come up with this cool product, which is designed with a groundbreaking delivery system that delivers the vital nutrients NADH and CoQ10 in such a way that uh, it's, 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 this is a, uh, something which is found in 37 trillion of your cells, but this, when you take it, actually ends, ends up giving you strength and vitality at a nutritional level, which is, uh, all I can say is I took this when my son got married in Prague and who gets married in Prague? Well, my son does. <laughs> so we all go flying over there for the wedding and I'm in M jet lag land. But I just heard Charlie talking about this strong cell. It's called a cellular function booster, strong cell. And I took this like passion fruit mixture every day and had no zero jet lag. Hmm. No zero. Well, I mean, no jet lag. There you go. Right. And it's delicious. I want you to go to Lancewaller.com forward slash, forward slash.
1: <laughs> Clarity of cell. mind, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no stash.
0: Stash is, it's LanceWallant.com forward slash strong sell. I'm going to take mine right now. And then we're going to go into an important subject. Thinking of warfare, thinking of battles. I want to talk about the movie Napoleon. I went there the other night to see it. I don't know if you've seen it. It's not a date night movie. I know I have a lot of women that listen to this audience, but I want you to understand. Just give me a minute to talk about a $200 million epic. That could be an epic fail. I'm going to hear my my son's decision. He got the tickets for the movie the other night. We went to go see it. I'm curious about his uh, analysis, but uh, let's take this. Don't forget. Lancemallow.com forward slash (laughs) strong sell. Carl, what was your take? on Ridley Scott's movie, Napoleon, $200 million.
1: He should stick to Um, (laughs) sci-fi. No, it it was well done. The cinematography was beautiful. The director of photography did a good job setting up the scenes, the scale, the scope of everything was quite nice. Um, I was pulled out of the film entirely by Joaquin Phoenix, not doing even an attempt at a French accent. So that pulled me out. Also, most of the other, uh, how to say, the, the commanders and whatnot, they sounded more just like broad strokes European kind of, a little English. Well, they gave little a little London, European. A little, but even then it was like, this is supposed to be like the French battalion. I, know, I, I agree. And it was, None it was, of this was, we, we. was all, No, no, I
0: know. It's so strange. He sounded like he was from Philadelphia ordering a cheesesteak. Yeah. Hey, let's bring on the cannons. It's like, <laughs> wait a second. Is this Napoleon? First of all, he's Corsican, which means he's Italian. He's an Italian leading, living in France. So you would have at least the blend of Corsican with French. You wouldn't have Philadelphia.
1: Yeah. I think the issue is that Christoph Waltz is a little too old for the role or else he would have nailed it because he's trilingual, incredible actor. Uh, he was in Joaquin Inglour- Phoenix. No, no. Christoph Waltz. I say he was a better fit for Napoleon. He's oh, oh, oh. Older. who is Christoph Waltz? He's um, the detective from *Inglorious Bastards. You know the Nazi? Yeah. Oh, Ooh, wait, wait,
0: wait. You would have had him as Napoleon?
1: I would have. If he was younger, absolutely, and they could do that with CGI anyway, just because he would be able to do the accents. He'd be able to be in the moment, you know? Uh, that's just my opinion. Well, it. I mean, Joaquin, I love you, you did a good job as Joker, way better than Jared Leto. I mean, maybe it was just Ridley Scott saying we're not gonna take the flack for a bad French accent, so we're not gonna do any accent.
0: I would love to know the logic behind that. But, but beyond that, there's other things that disturbed me. That was one part of it. The other part is he was in his 20s, in his 30s, in his career, and Joaquin Phoenix is older than that. Yeah, and they made no effort at making him younger.
1: Yeah, the biopic element makes it seem like it's a forgivable sin, almost like it's a stage play, so you know the actor is going to be older. But the, it just it left some on the table, in my opinion. The
0: other part, which is purely geekdom, is I actually know something about Napoleon, as I've studied these characters of history, Julius Caesar, and Napoleon. I go through various phases, as Mercedes will tell you when I'm when I'm trying to do some research on a subject and. Um, I, uh, I was in a period of Napoleon research when I was looking at battles and lessons that could be learned from history on battles and strategy and if there's any spiritual correlation in the Bible to how these things work. They covered Napoleon's grand masterpiece, which was the Austerlitz campaign, mm-hmm. when it was Austria and Germany and Russia, all of Europe came together, it seemed, in order to defeat Napoleon, as he had made himself emperor in France, and um, there's a great deal of controversy around Napoleon. Was he an evil, you know, ma- you know, maniacal character like a Hitler, or yeah, was, or was he, he, or was he a virtuous, um, you know, uh, patriot of France? Patriot of France, who was who was exporting the ideas of democracy to a European world loaded with aristocracy, which is what we got today. It's your deep state elites running everything, Ooh. your Davos, it's, it, this stuff hasn't changed. Napoleon came along and upended it and said, no, it's a people's movement. He was the ultimate populist who became a dictator who killed a whole lot of them, which is unfortunate. But So the, uh, the part that uh, that I want to focus on for the moment is the lessons and the takeaways. This is a person who shaped history. So you got to see God is at work in history. So for that reason, it's like, well, what what are the lessons that can be learned? And one of them is the danger of hubris. Mm. Because here's a man who had conquered 50 battles and won like 47 Mm. of them. Like like, Wellington said that when Napoleon was on the battlefield, he knew it was the psychological equivalent of another 20,000 men that he knew his own army suddenly was demoralized because Alexander the Great is now on the field. So the psychological pressure was immense. But Napoleon, in hubris, was defeated, not by an army, but by God, because he took 600,000. Because, you know, when you conquer countries, guess what? You form alliances with them, and then you can conscript their soldiers. It's funny thing about human nature. Some of the guys that were fighting against him were really well paid by him and decided to fight for him. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he conquered territories and conscripted those people and they marched for him and he won over their affection and their allegiance to his idea and his cause. And so he was defeated by God because no human army could stop him. And he drove into the Russian winter, as the story goes. And the Russian winter killed him. He went in with 600,000. He came out with like 40,000. And that was when the remainder of Europe rose up and said, we've got to get him. And um, they they were able to exile him. And of course, he he was exiled to Elba. And he escaped the island of Elba and returned. And that was the 100 Days campaign that, that culminated in Waterloo where he was finally sent to St. Helena. And, uh, but, there are, but there are so many interesting lessons to be drawn from a life and, and like that, that it's sad for me that the movie uh, kind of was, it tried, it tried to almost like a documentary would cover a whole life it should have been like, it should have been a series, you know, like... Um, an anthology. Like The Chosen or like something like that, where, you know, put the budget, you're going to 200 million, you could do a great series, an eight-part or six-part series and make it a classic, but they <laughs> just tried to cram too much in and it was flat because you didn't get to the dimensions of the man himself. So Joaquin Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix, plays this character like he's on Quaaludes. He's hmm. like totally like, you know, like... It, 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 detached from everything going on. Now, here's what I want you to know about Napoleon, because I knew the guy. He was a man of immense charisma and and an engaging personality um, with with a tremendous amount of energy. This character was played almost like he's, like I said, like he's detached from what's going on around him. He had three secretaries at one time he recorded to because they were dispatching on economics, on government, on reform, and on foreign policy. And he had them working in shifts, because his brain was like a computer functioning. And so it lost some of the fascination hmm. of who it was that dominated European history for a period of like two decades. Yeah. And um, But I'll tell you one story, and then we're done. A young man came to him after his defeat in 1812. And this gives you insight into, into Napoleon— And the young man came to him and dared to ask the question, somehow broke through and and, and got it in his presence and said, Emperor, what was it like when you were coming back from Russia uh, when you knew that you were losing your first big battle? And it's like everybody was like aghast that a 12-year-old, 13-year-old would ask a question like that because it was the inappropriate question to ask Napoleon. He said, you want to know what it was like? He said, come here. And the kid comes up to him. And he takes a scarf off his head and he blindfolds him. And he takes him by the shoulders and he says, bring the guard outside, I want him shot. And he takes him outside and the kid's standing there. And, he, and then Napoleon tells his army, put the guns away. He says, on the count of three, one, two, three. And he pulls the blindfolds off. The kid's like freaking out, ready to like wet his pants. And he looked at him and said, that my friend was what it felt like. Mm. He said, I carried around my neck um, poison. Mm-hmm. So that I, if it was going to be caught, I would kill myself. He said, that's what it was like retreating from Moscow. Hmm. And so, but now that, but that's, that's an aspect of a personality that has got far more range, creativity and personality than what you're seeing under the Quaalude, uh <clears throat> state of Joaquin with his Philadelphia
1: cheesesteak accent. I, I think it was just that he was making the dramatic choice to play somebody who's technically neurodivergent or somebody who is not necessarily
0: neurodivergence
1: anybody who doesn't fall under the the hokum the the conventional okay like anybody who has add adhd depression anxiety they're all considered neurodivergent anybody who has a learning difference you know not necessarily disability but people who are even um what is it called when you have picture perfect memory you know that's neurodivergent photographic, photographic memory thank you mm-hmm. so i think that was a dramatic choice on on the part of Uh, Ridley Ridley Scott Scott, and 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 Joaquin Phoenix to play somebody who is neurodivergent for sure throughout history but also the representation as we've come to know them in modern times especially in media is a little bit more straight-laced quiet keeps themselves you know there's a lot going on behind the scenes behind the eyes but you don't necessarily know what it is
0: I had a I had a, a reason why Napoleon Julius Caesar Alexander the Great and oddly enough Hitler were all part of a study I did I could actually actually get submitted for a thesis which is the personality dynamics of dictatorship that moves in a populist movement. Uh, Because I have the theory, it's a working theory, that the Antichrist is going to have characteristics of a convergence of those personalities. That the same way in which they were able to dominate militarily, oratorically, conceptually, and politically their generation, they're all characteristics of the ultimate Antichrist. Run along a parallel, and you'll see Jesus— had all of those same characteristics, but the discipline to never let ambition surpass his commitment to doing the will of the Father. So he walked away from crowns, didn't manipulate the crowd, and, uh, and didn't uh, negotiate with the devil for power. And this Antichrist will fail that test, Jesus passed it, which makes him an even more splendid um, leader in my book to, to learn from. And so, as we turn the page from Napoleon in the past, to the current state of affairs. I hesitate uh, on this broadcast at this time to segue into what I would like to talk about because not everybody shares my interest in the subject. But uh, I do believe that the um, tendency of the political direction of the United States right now is moving towards dictatorship and what's weird is the dictatorship is really coming by the uniparty, and I could easily see the Democrats, who are willing to vilify its own our own citizens and call them domestic terrorists, mm. to stage a January sixth, uh, which was a legitimate disruption by some, but manipulated and contrived to become a far bigger incident because of the collusion of people in power. I see the untrustworthiness of the government uh, as the danger threatening democracy, and I see everywhere I look Donald Trump, who exercised enormous restraint when those states were on fire in Antifa for a hundred days when BLM was burning down cities, he called upon governors and people called upon him, would you restore order? And he said, no, I can't. The, the, I'm limited in my power. He exercised discipline in the use of power, but is accused of being the dictator, danger, and great threat to democracy. And that offends me personally because I think we're living with the great threat to democracy, curiously enough, accusing the deliverer for democracy of being a dictator. You're going to see more and more of that coming. And we're going to have to maintain our our balance on this. And so here's my question for the panel Mm -hmm. as we're concluding our broadcast here. How would you advise someone, if you were coaching someone like me, and you know that I've got a deal. You know, police have a high level of stress, and of course, they have a high level of alcoholism and depression, and also suicide. And, and divorce it's because, rates. And divorce rates, because it's like it's like a vet; they deal with the devil. Now, if you really, if you really are called to be able to deal with, this, as as uh, as I said in the last broadcast, Russell Johnson said that culture wars is a proxy war for the spiritual war that Christians are in it's where we're engaging, but it's not really where the battle is. The battle is the spirits behind it. Hmm. How can you stay buoyant, optimistic, overcoming, resourceful, uh, even um, maintaining a sense of humor while you're dealing with periods of great intrigue and stress and tension and danger? And I think as a study of leadership, we should probably look to someone like Lincoln who is the most remarkable mind, I think, uh, of, of American history in terms of being able to manage his own depression and melancholy, and the loss of a child, uh, and the, the, the delirium of a wife while dealing with a nation torn by civil war with a party that wasn't even consolidated in support of you. And yet he retained a kind of buoyancy and resourcefulness Emotional intelligence at a high level. We might not be able to do it, but maybe we can analyze what elements go into creating that because everyone listening to me is going to be required to operate at an enormous level of emotional resiliency, not triggered or manipulated by the intensity of the the volleys of cannon that are going to be taking place during this next election season. Mm. So how do you stay optimistic and buoyant? What would be some advice you guys would give?
1: Ms. Mercedes?
2: Well, for me, I just don't think it's a hopeless situation. I think if we were really in a hopeless situation, <clears throat> I don't know if they'd be going after Donald Trump as hard as they go after him with countless uh, lawsuits. And uh, they're just trying to break him down, even though it just helps his poll numbers go up. but You know, when it comes to just the situation we live in, I think the greatest attack the enemy can do and really in so many ways only do is lie and try to convince you that the situation itself is hopeless. So don't even bother trying. Just wait for the rapture. Jesus is coming back. Sit by and just pray and just pray in your prayer closet. But whatever you do, don't engage. And there's these two ditches that are forming in the body of Christ right now that fosters disengagement. There's the false hope side where it it's you know, preachers and false prophets giving you hopium that, hey, you know, it's really not as bad as it is. This person's really in charge. The army's going to come in and save you. I mean, really wild stuff. And then the other side, the other ditch that we're seeing emerge in the church is this concept where you started at the beginning of the broadcast of, well, it's dangerous Christian nationalism, and you can't be a Christian and love your nation. You can't be a Christian and vote. You can't be a Christian and engage in politics because you're supposed to be two separate things, division of church and state. And it's a a number of uh, throwaway thoughts and phrases like that that are designed to get you disengaged. So the biggest battle that I think we're in right now is Battling both of those ditches on the either side of the road and maintaining hope and engaging. So to me, maintain hope, get engaged, know where you fit in God's plan in this next year and moving forward. So hopefully that's enough. But
0: I love that. That's yeah. all very good. And, so, and, you, and when you say maintaining hope, I just want to say we teach this stuff. Like the preacher said once, I preach it by the yard and live it by the inch. But I mean, we have this whole teaching on on state management, and here I am discussing state, but it's because the part that we teach here that I really have to go back and practice is that your state is the byproduct of what you focus on and what you say to yourself about what you focus on. And if you break apart what you said, it's the focus on not losing, but winning, focus on the hope or the joy that's set before you. In other words, find some aspect of what's taking place and extract the empowering meaning. Mm-hmm. And this is what leaders have to do. They have to look at D-Day. They have to look at setbacks and communicate to other people. Churchill was brilliant at this. I have nothing to offer you but blood and sweat and tears. But he also provided hope because he gave, he gave an interpretation of what the warfare was all about that made every Brit wanna grab a pot or a pan and go fight.
2: I would add one other thing in too, and it's just as you were talking, the Bible verse came to my mind that, you know, because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. And when we live in a day and age where you see the rise of lawlessness across the nation and really across the globe, I think that the, the Christian has to work to maintain the love, love for people. And what does that look like, right? So, and the Bible's so good for to divine for us what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. It isn't rude. It isn't self-seeking. Uh, love keeps no record of wrongs. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Also, love always rejoices with the truth. And so... When we live in a day and an age where I say, well, love is tolerance. Love is accepting people as they are. Like, no, love is speaking the and loving that person enough to tell them the truth, to not affirm them into hell, but try to regenerate them into heaven. And so I think that we have to look at how we're interacting with people and maintaining our state because it can get really, especially going into 2024, it's going to be really hard when you kind of see the devil operating through different people and maintaining a state of love and saying, you know what, that's a spirit. That's not that person. God loves that Democrat. God loves that progressive. God loves that woke person just as much as he loves me. And I got to try to get that message to him while still standing for truth and, you know, um, advocating for the biblical worldview. So anyways, I just wanted to throw that in there too.
0: I want, to, I want to tie this together because I'm a real big believer in this. I'm a believer in lifelong learning. I come from a, a DNA tribe of rabbis on my father's side. And I think that learning is perhaps the, the thing in my world that we value the most. It's, it's knowledge uh, that is acquired by revelation. And I want to say something to you. Mercedes says something, and Carl says something that that are answering my question. And we're three minutes over, so I'm going to get to the point. (laughs) That in an era of increasing lawlessness, you have to make sure you're not swept away by the lawless tide that gives in to impulsiveness and maintain self-control over what you say and what you do. Because this is an era where love will grow cold. Make sure that your love never um, becomes cold. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man that, you know, does not do certain things. There are certain blessings that come by avoiding things. One is don't Mm -hmm. sit in the seat of the scornful. It's possible in my profession, every day, looking over the world and seeing the activity of darkness advancing, to begin to scorn those that allow the darkness to advance, but the Bible says, "Don't sit in the seat of the scornful, but rather delight thyself in the Lord." Never let your delight in God be weaker, uh, or never let the scorn be stronger than your delight in God. Put it that way. Never let your 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 what you don't like be stronger than what you do like, so that your emotional state is is always going to be. Uh, supported. I want to pray for people right now because I think that what you focus on is going to get you. What you look at will control you. Mm. So you have to be careful to always find the empowering meaning in what you're looking at. And uh, the meaning you attach to what's happening is more important than what's happening. You go to the doctor, you get a bad report. The meaning you attach... To what you hear is more important than the event itself because you shape the event by the meaning you ascribe to it we teach this in our our level 10 material uh, on uh, in an organization or a life transformation it's not the event that is as powerful as the meaning you give it when Jesus was betrayed in the garden as Judas, essentially came towards him, Peter went to go kill the guards. And Jesus said, put your sword back. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Jesus had rightly interpreted. He could focus on the betrayal of a trusted friend. He could focus on the idiocy and the self-interest of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees that were persecuting and trying to kill the very deliverer God sent to save them. But he didn't focus on the injustice. He focused on the fact that the Father has planned that this is the way we redeem the situation. And so for the joy that was set before him, he endured the contradiction. You've got to keep your mind focused on the joy set before you, the empowering meaning on the other side of the event, the outcome that God has for you. I started this broadcast talking about the next generation, how they do inspire me. Charlie Kirk and Russell Johnson, I'm quoting them for a reason. They're next generation. I'm inspired by the mama bears that I'm getting to meet out there. The women in their uh, 30s and 40s who are fighting for their daughters. They give me courage. And something Charlie said uh, today, I heard him on a broadcast. He said, I'm encouraged by one thing, Gen Z men. Now, I don't know what the age group is for Gen Z. Carl, look it up, will you? He said Gen Z males are overwhelmingly moving towards conservative, courageous personality characteristics, meaning they are a locomotive coming to break up the progress of a woke generation of millennials and weak baby boomers. The Gen Zs, I guess the Gen Xers too, the Gen Zs, the males, are rejecting the feminizing rituals and definitions of their of the, of other generations. They are looking for models and reasons to be who they are, and for that reason, Gen Zs are demonstrating an, a remarkable uh, inclination towards conservative, uh, bold propositions of pushing against the machine, and that that gives hope. I remember reading data from Michael O'Connor, who was was a great psychiatrist and one of the guys who was a big influencer in my my days with behavioral psychology and and studying it. And Michael O'Connor said one of his curious studies is the number of disproportionately strong D-type dominant males that were born, I guess, uh, in the 20s and coming to maturity in the 30s and 40s because they ended up being the generation that had to go to war. And it was as though God had given a generation of personality temperaments to suit the demand that was coming in their lifetime. And so I'm encouraged to know that God is going to raise up, as Malachi says, God is going to do something with your sons and your daughters um, and turn them in such a way that the earth isn't smitten with a curse. That's a biblical promise. So let me say to all of you, thank you very much for being with us on this broadcast. Remember... That, that uh, one of the things you want to do to keep your strength, your physical health strong is maintain the optimum level of NADH and CoQ10 for strong cellular regeneration. We're going to be focusing on health this year because we're going to be drawing a lot in the spirit and in the physical and the mental. LanceWallet.com forward slash strong cell. And you'll see how you can feel younger, think sharper and live better This is something that I'm doing every day and you wanna do it yourself. See you tomorrow.
3: I'm excited to announce that we're having our biggest Christmas sale ever. You get our brand new six piece My Towels for only $29.98 or rejuvenate your bed with a MyPillow mattress topper as low as $99.99. Or how about MyPillow bed sheets for as low as $24.98. There's something for everyone. or get your very own MyPillow bedsheets for as low as $24.98. It's our biggest Christmas sale ever. Get all your shopping done now while quantities last. Go to MyPillow.com and use promo code Lance to save big on all of Mike's best products. That's promo code Lance. Did you enjoy this latest episode? Please remember to share it with your friends because the more knowledge you have, the better equipped you are to navigate the world.